Good afternoon. We are in chapter 8 of Revelation. We are just flying. We've done actually uh, several last few weeks. We've done a chapter a week. So, you know, we are we're moving on now. This is, I forget, 20th something week that we've been doing this since July. So stay with us. We're getting there. Any uh, prayer requests, please put it out. If anybody has prayer requests here, just holler at me. But let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message here this evening, Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our, and our hearts to receive, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Now, last week we we done chapter seven, and you know that was the four corners and four winds and all of that. So this time we are actually going to be looking at what's happening in the last seals. This is the last of the books, or the last seal on the book. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Now, remember last week, I kept talking about how loud heaven was going to be, how loud heaven was going to be, how loud heaven was going to be. Everybody's worshiping God at the same time. They're all saying the same words. So the volume is just going to be astronomical when you think about it. But now there's silence for about 30 minutes. And that silence was deafening. That silence has to be, you know, just unreal. We think about 9-11 when, when we, or when the government grounded our airplanes and there was no planes flying overhead. And where I worked at the time, there was always planes flying overhead. And it was actually more scary not hearing the planes than it would have been if I'd heard the planes. It was just dead calm, dead silence. Nothing was moving. So I can, I can relate a little bit to 9-11 and the silence that I experienced there at that one site to what the silence is going to be here in heaven, how quiet it's going to be for a half an hour. This verse, some will say, should go with chapter 6, since it is the opening of the final seal. However, when you take into the account that chapter 7 was a brief interlude and some of the events are not chronological following exactly after the event or events before, some of the events are chronological. That is the opening of the seven seals. First seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, sixth seal, and now we are on the seventh seal. It was one right after the other. But there was a little interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal. When writing any narrative, the events before the parentheses and the events after the parentheses must connect somehow. This was the way that the events before and the events after are connected. For the span of about 30 minutes, half an hour, all of heaven is quiet. In heaven, it is not noisy. It is loud. I said or loud, but it is loud. There's always praise and adoration. But for 30 minutes, everything was quiet. Writers call this a pregnant pause because in anticipation of something happening. 
with an expectation. Everyone has caught their breath, if they, if you will. And you're standing there and you're waiting for something to happen, but you, you're so anxious for it, you can't breathe. I've been in that position twice, at least in my lifetime. When my daughter was born and when my son was born, I caught my breath. I waited anxiously for, for that little baby to cry. And when they finally did cry, I was able to breathe. Because in anticipation of something happening with an expectation, everyone ceased talking and praising. For 30 minutes, the world was silent. This was the final seal on the road. There is no indication, however, that the roll was ever unrolled and read. We just have the opening of the seals. We don't have what was said on the roll, or we don't believe we have what was said on the roll. Some have suggested as each seal was open, the portion of the roll was also open. And the roll contained the results of the seal being opened and the consequences of that seal being opened. This will remain a mystery as to whether the seal, or excuse me, as whether this roll was unrolled and read or not. The seal is open and the rest of the end times can now take place. They waited for the seventh seal to be opened. Now, some believe that this is like seven different rolls all on one bar. And as the first seal was unrolled, he unrolled or opened the, the roll up and he read. And that's what the four horsemen and all of this other. In the seventh seal, he opened it up. There was nothing. Nothing was written on that section of the seal or on the section of the roll. It was quiet. Everybody's standing there waiting. We don't know. No one can give you an answer on that. So if anybody ever tells you they know what was on the roll, no one knows what was on the roll. We don't even know if it was ever read or not. It never says Christ read the roll. It does say Christ unsealed the roll. Never tells us anywhere in the scriptures that he read the roll. We get hung up on these things, but don't worry about it. it. It happens the way God wants it to happen. Whether the role was read or not is irrelevant. The seventh seal has now been opened. There's been silence. And pardon the expression, but all hell is about to break loose on earth. Because on verse 2, and I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. The seven angels before God was each given a trumpet. This is not the trumpet of God, nor is it the trumpets of other angels mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. We see in 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is not that trumpet. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is not those trumpets. Hebrews 12 and 19, In the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, 
which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Again, that's not this trumpet. Revelation 1 and 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. This is not that trumpet. And in Revelation 4 and 1, and after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as if it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show these things which must be hereafter. It's not that trumpet either. These are seven separate trumpets. And when these trumpets sound, oh boy, it's going to be interesting here on earth. These seven angels ushers in more terrible events and more judgment from God. With the seals of the roll, it was man unleashing terror on man. Yes, we did see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Those were not men riding those horses. They were spirits. Satan was on one of them. The Antichrist was on one. He is a man, but he is possessed, I will say, very much so, of, of Satan. So it, the, the seven seals is men wrecking havoc on men at the direction and the guidance of Satan. The seven trumpets were want to fall into the hands of, of a fearful God. I don't. I'm like David in that respect, keeping his terror because it's going to be awesome what he's going to be able to do. With the seals of the roll, it was man unleashing terror on man, but here we have God about to deliver judgment from on high. When God delivers judgment, man can do nothing to stop him. There are seven seals, now seven trumpets. A lot of scholars relate the seven seals with the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, and the trumpets with the last half of the tribulation. Yes, the first half was bad. The second half or the last half is going to be terrible. Verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now here's an angel. He doesn't have a trumpet. He has a golden censer. The little bowl, if you will, that was carried by the high priest that was burning incense. That's what this angel has. He doesn't have the trumpet. He's not one of the seven. Before the blowing of the first trumpet, another angel appears with censer and much incense that the angel should offer it with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. A censer in the Old Testament was made of copper and contained some coals from the perpetual fire and some incense to be offered with the sacrifice. I talked to an individual one time about this. He'd been in seminary, he had studied it a lot more than I ever attempted to. They burned the incense to reduce the odor that would permeate from the altar from the sacrifices because you never see them washing the altar. You never see them cleaning all of this up. So all of this dry has dried. And so it's beginning to smell a little bit. So the incense is being burned, according to this individual. The incense is being burned to kind of mask that smell that's coming from the altar. Made sense to me. The incense also, the smell rises, and it takes the prayers with the of the saints with the, with the odors, and it just 
permeates into the atmosphere and God, God smells it. It's a sweet odor to God. But for us, the incense was to mask the stench of the former sacrifices. It's an interesting concept, I think. I don't know if that's actually accurate, but I've always thought that that was pretty probably well well versed on that because I can only imagine after a few days, a few years of burning or of sacrificing animals, how that would smell. Eli, in number 1639, it says, And Eleazar, the priest, took the brazen censers wherewith they were burnt, had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. We see in Kings, of 1 Kings 7 and 50, that the censers could be made of gold also, and were made of gold. And the bowls, and the snuffers, and the basins, and the spoons, and the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house to wit of the temple. So they weren't always copper, they could be gold as well. Hebrews 9 and 4 says, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded it in the tables of the covenant. That's what's inside the Ark of the Covenant right now. We have the tables, the second set of Ten Commandments. The first was broken by Moses. He broke all ten at one time. When he got mad at the people of Israel and threw them down on the ground, they broke. So the second set of Ten Commandments is in the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's budding rod is in the Ark of the Covenant. And a pot of manna from the Exodus days. That's what's inside the ark. Now you can see other descriptions of what's inside the ark in other locations in the scriptures, and a lot of times it does about the manna, or it'll talk about the budding rod, or it'll talk about. But this is the three in three items that's inside the ark of the covenant. This is a complete list. The other scriptures are, I won't say incomplete, but they only list what's important to that scripture. But these were probably not censers. In the Holy of Holies, perhaps a censer was carried and not placed on the altar or any other object. In Leviticus 16, 12 through 13, it reads like perhaps a censer was carried such as the one in this verse indicates. The angel carried the censer. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small. And bring it within the veil, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Why cover so much of the censer? Well, you're going to find out what happens to the censer here in just a few moments. And the smoke, in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So the the saints' prayers are mingling with the incense and they are being carried aloft to the, to the throne. The coals heated up the incense, produced a sweet-smelling smoke that rose up from the censer before the throne of God. With smoke also rose the saints' prayers to be carried upward to the throne. I have been told that the incense was used to mask the odor of the sacrifices as previously carried out. That's why... 
we use incense just to mask odors. Now, you go, wow, that's pretty interesting. Thank you for putting me to sleep. But it's very important that we understand what the censer is because we see in verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar. I'm going to stop there for just a second. It's already got fire. It's already got embers in it. He's already produced smoke. It's already producing that uh, sweet smell. So he's putting more fire in it. And it's fire. It's not an ember. Normally they put embers in the censer because, well, it's a bowl. You don't want flames catch the priest's robes on fire. So it's more of an ember type deal in in the incense. But now he says clearly he filled it with fire from the perpetual fire, the fire of the altar. He cast it into the earth. There were voices, thunders, thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. The censer already had coals from the altar in it, hence the smoke rising from it. So it was already heated up. However, in this verse, the angel does not put the coal or embers in the censer. He puts the fire from the altar. He filled it with fire, the verse says. He heated it up again before he made his next move. He threw the hot censer down onto the earth. John does not tell us anything that happened once this took place except for the consequences of this action. Earth experienced voices and earthquake, thunders, and lightnings. Now you say we have earthquakes, thunder, and lightning all the time. What's so special about all this? This was directed from God. It is supernatural, not in the way that we would think of today, but God supernatural. This was a terrible thunder and lightning storm and perhaps the entire globe at the same time. It covered all of the earth. This is the most magnificent and terrible. We just came through a hurricane, Hurricane Ian. When it hit Florida, it was one of the hardest storms that ever hit that part of the coast. This is going to be worse. This is going to be a lot worse. No one understands the voices because we're not told what the voices said. We just hear voices. And what they say really doesn't matter. It's God's judgment is about to be handed down to man. And this is the first step. And this is not even the trumpets being sounded yet. The trumpets, they have wet their lips. They put the trumpet to their lips and they're waiting patiently for all of this to take place so that they can blow their trumpet and do what they're supposed to do. I truly believe that these seven angels are only there for one reason, and that's to blow the trumpet. I believe these are seven, this is Robert's opinion, I believe these are seven special angels designed and created for this one event. They are only to blow the trumpets. Nothing in the scriptures tells me this, but it's very specific that it says seven angels and seven trumpets, and they're not the angels or the trumpets per previous. So, yeah, I think these are seven special angels. Verse 6, And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Seven angels are now standing ready. Their lips are pursed, and they are placing the trumpets to their mouth. 
they are preparing to blow, God's judgment is about to fall. This is the great tribulation. The first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The first angel blew, or sounded the trumpet. The trumpet was used by soldiers to warn of the danger that was ahead of them. This angel was signifying that the judgment of God was quickly coming. When this trumpet sounded, hail and fire mingled with blood came from heaven. In Exodus 9, 23 through 24, and Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it had became a nation. Genesis 19.24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The judgment of God has started. With this fire, hail, and blood, one-third of the trees were destroyed, and all the grass was destroyed. A third of the trees and all the green grass. But where does the blood come from? We can speculate that. Some will say it's the birds of the air being killed by the fire and hail. But I believe if that is not the case here, I believe that it was the case God would have given us a percentage of total birds killed. The blood is supernatural and certainly adds to the fear factor. He changed the water to blood in Egypt. I believe he changed the moisture to blood with this final judgment. Robert's opinion, you can think that the fire and the hail killed the birds and the the blood fell on the earth. That's fine. I don't I don't have a problem with that. I just believe if that was the case, he would have said, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up, and a fifth of the birds was killed. If the case was that there was birds being killed, I believe we would have. So we've got the trees. The first angel sounded the trees, third of them, and all the green grass, all the grass. Gone, poof, vanished. That's not just in a local area. That's worldwide. That's everywhere. First angel. And the second angel sounded in verse 8. As it were such great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. The second angel sounds, and a great mountain burning with fire falls into the sea. This could be a volcano eruption. No problem of believing that. But more than likely, it's a meteor impacting the earth, falling into the ocean. A near-earth object, an NEO as NASA likes to call them. Such an impact will kill significant amounts of aquatic life so that the third part of the sea become blood. The aquatic life would not only be destroyed at the site of the impact, but also the tidal wave and the shock wave would destroy other population of aquatic life, not just at the impact site. It could be that 
he's also turning the water into blood here as well. And it may not be the aquatic life that's, that's dying, that's causing the blood. It fits, though, that it would be more the aquatic life. But, hey, I don't believe that the birds were killed in the first trumpet. It's very possible that in the second trumpet it's not fish. Believe what you will. So we got hell, fire, and, and blood in the first trumpet. I definitely don't want to see that. The second is a burning mountain, which a meteor fits that description. As it impacts the earth, it's called a meteorite. We see in verse 9, says the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. So we do see where he gives us third part of the animals, the aquatic life died. So that's very possible that that's what, where the blood comes from. But now it's touching us personally, a third part of the ships in the ocean have been destroyed. Now that's not just merchant ships. That's naval vessels. That's military vessels. And that's not just military vessels of one nation. That's military vessels of all nations. We think we're big and bad, and America is. I take nothing against it. We have the best military in the world. But when the second trumpet sounds, a third of the ships are destroyed, and that includes our military vessels or some of them. This impact would also greatly affect any ships in the vicinity. Also with the impact, the shock wave and the tidal wave. The giant wave could capsize the largest of ships and sink others. The shock wave would create or would break in half a large number of ships in and around the area. When the Krakatoa, I always have to remember how to pronounce that word, when Krakatoa exploded in 1884, there was a tidal wave approximately 120 feet tall. That's quite a tidal wave. It killed an estimated 36,000 people. Imagine a large meteor impacting the earth. The tidal wave would make the one from Krakatoa small in comparison. Way back when, when we had the tsunami in Indonesia back December, I forget which year, it seems like it was like 2015 or something like that, and I might even mentioned it here. I heard a meteorologist say that there was a volcano in the Atlantic on an island. And if the Volcano ever exploded, and half of that volcano landed in the Atlantic Ocean. Just blew it and splashed it down. The tidal wave that would result, the waters could reach all the way to Raleigh, North Carolina. Think about how large of a distance that is, between Raleigh to the coast. According to this meteorologist, the water would reach 
all the way up to Raleigh. East Coast is gone. Now, if you like science fiction movies, Deep Impact, one of the one of my favorite of the movies, to be honest with you. Although it does have a major flaw in it at the very end, Deep Impact was a meteorite falls into the ocean, creates a tidal wave. Morgan Freeman, I believe it was, was playing on that movie. He was the president of the United States. He was killed in the impact and the tidal wave. But he narrated the last part. And he said the tidal wave was so large that it reached the Tennessee Valley. Now, Lynn knows as we go through that area, going backwards and forth to my sibling's house now, my parents' house used to be, I would always think about that movie as I'm traversing through the Tennessee Valley or the head of the Tennessee Valley. You, to get to the Tennessee Valley, you got to get over the Smoky Mountains. Think about how big that wave would have to be to get over the Smoky Mountains and get water to the Tennessee Valley. Now, the Tennessee Valley is not technically the bottom of the Smoky Mountains and on. It's the next valley over. That's the Tennessee. That's really the Tennessee Valley because that's where the Tennessee River is. So the water, according to Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact, gets all across the Smokies, down across the plains, what or the flatlands, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, wiped out, gone completely. Flows on to Kingston, Tennessee. That's the start of the Tennessee Valley. That's where the Tennessee Valley's at. That's quite a distance from the waters of the Atlantic. So I always laugh, laugh at that part. That's a long distance for water to reach. And that wave would be greater than 120 feet tall. But Krakatoa's tsunami tidal wave was 120 feet tall, they say. That's the second trumpet sound. And it only gets worse. And the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. When the third angel blew the shofar, the trumpet, a great star fell from heaven. As it fell, the revelator described it as a lamp. In some versions, it's been described as a torch. Instead of falling into the ocean, such as the last one, this one fell on land and contaminated the fresh water. Verse 11, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. The star was named Wormwood, or named after a bitter desert plant. This star made a third of the waters poison, and many people died. There has been a whole lot of speculation, especially since 1986, March of 1986, as to what Wormwood really is. And you say, well, what was so special about March 1986? March 1986 is when Chernobyl nuclear facility in Ukraine blew up. 
You say, okay, well, what's so special about Chernobyl blowing up? Well, Chernobyl's translation into English is wormwood. There are a lot of people that believe, and I was one for a long time, that believed that this star was not a star, but it was an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile with a nuclear tip. It would appear as a torch to ancient people. If a nuclear warhead detonated at the correct location, the radioactive fallout would contaminate and poison the water supply. This description fits. And up until I really got to studying it, I truly believed that Wormwood was an ICBM, but I don't any longer. Because the judgments that are falling on earth during this time are from God, not man. None of these judgments are man-made. So this is not a ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile with a nuclear warhead. That's not what this is. So what could it be? He describes it as a star from heaven. Well, the stars are so much larger than earth that if a star fell on earth, we would be decimated. We would be obliterated. We would be vaporized. So is it literally a star? I believe it's another meteorite. This is Robert's opinion. I believe that he is talking about another meteorite here. But instead of impacting the ocean, like the mountain that was on fire impacted the ocean, I believe that this one hits the earth. This should also look, it could be a meteor, and one that is a heavy metal content. The taste of metal is a bitter taste. I'm told that cyanide, I've never tasted cyanide. I've kidded my wife for years that the food started tasting like bitter almonds. But I am told that cyanide tastes like bitter almonds. And cyanide is heavy in meteorites. But where could a meteor fall and affect a lot of fresh water? The Nile? The Euphrates? Even the Jordan River could be argued for. However, it could also fall on the glaciers. The glaciers are a source of fresh water, and they feed the rivers and streams fresh water. I'm not saying that that's where this is going to fall. I'm not saying it's not going to fall on the Euphrates. I'm not going to say it's not going to fall on the Mississippi. I don't know. No one does. We don't even know what this is. Most of us believe that it is indeed a meteor. It's a heavy metal or a cyanide-type meteor. And if it falls and impacts at the right location, fresh water is contaminated. And it will kill people. Fits. Not saying that that's the actual honest-to-goodness truth. That's one of those speculations that we have to get into when we study Revelation. Choose what you will. If you want to think it's an intercontinental ballistic missile, you're welcome to do that. I've given you the reasons why most people believe it is, or a lot of people believe it is.
But these are God-related. These are God-brought. These are not man-made. That's the third trumpet. First trumpet, second trumpet, now the third trumpet. We've had fire and hell and blood, and we've had tidal waves and tsunamis, and now we've got a third of the waters, fresh water that is now turned bitter or poisoned. This is not a good place to live anymore. I think I want to go to Mars. Better yet, let me be in heaven when all this takes place so I don't even have to experience it. Verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so that so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. In chapter 6, verse 12, the opening of the sixth field, the sun was darkened and the moon turned blood red. We discussed then that this was not a solar or lunar eclipse. In this judgment, the fourth angel, a third of the sun and a third of the moon is not shining as it should. The sun was reduced by a third of its light intensity, and since a third of the sun was smitten, the moon would not be illuminated as before. This could be in the fact of dust from meteorite impact, obscuring the light from the sun, moon, and stars. However, it could mean that God just dimmed the stars, the sun, the moon, for his judgment on earth. Without the sunlight, the glowing season will be affected as well as the temperature on the earth cooling significantly overnight. We talk about global warming. I'm going back into almost an ice age. Of course, when I was a teenager, those same clowns that are saying global warming now was saying we were heading into an ice age back then in the 70s. Oh, we're all going to freeze to death. Now they've changed their tune. Oh my gosh, we're all going to burn to death. How about it's just cyclic and, you know, it happens. But here, a third of the sun is darkened, which means a third of the moon is darkened, and a third part of the sun is, is gone, disappeared, vanished, vamoosed, however you want to say it. God just turns off the switch, or at least turns down the dimmer on the sun. And that's all he has to do to darken the moon as well is just turn down the sun. The stars, he just tells them to quit shining, and they stop. Oh, yeah, I can see all of the atheists now. Oh, yeah, that's not how it works. That's exactly how it works because he told them to shine to begin with. In the beginning, God created. If he don't want them to shine, guess what? It's not going to shine. So we've got in, in four trumpets in verse or in chapter eight, in four trumpets, we've had fire, hail, and blood. <laughs> we've had a tsunami and the water turned to blood. We've heard, we've had the fresh water, third of the fresh water turned bitter and poisoned. And now third part of the sun just went dimmed out. Have you caught a glimpse of what's going on here? A third, third, a third, a third. Wait, isn't there a trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? Yes, it is all connected. Everything in nature 
You can find a, a trinity or a third part. So the fourth angel sounded. We've got uh, cool temperatures. We've got, you know, no moon shining, no stars. I wonder what's going to happen in the next three trumpets. Verse 13, and I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. An angel flies through heaven pronouncing woe on the remaining inhabitants of earth because of the terrible judgments coming from the next three angels at the trumpets. The first four wasn't bad enough, the next three is going to be terrible. We didn't have an angel before all of this. We had silence. Everybody held their breath. Now we've got an angel flying through the heavens going, woe to the inhabitants, woe to the humans, woe to the animals, woe to the fishes, woe to the birds. Woe, not just to the humans, but everything. For the next three trumpets are going to get terrible. And we want to be here for this? No thanks. I want to get on the first busload out of here. Again, we don't know when the, the rapture of the church takes place. There is a strong argument that it's already taken place, the beginning of all of this. There is a very good, strong argument for that. There is a, just, I believe, a strong argument that says right before the trumpet sounds, right before these seven trumpets, that the rapture takes place. We go through the first part of the tribulation. Somewhere in that first three and a half years, we're raptured out. There's that argument. There is another argument that says we are still here through all of this that we just read and more to come next week. I do hope that argument is wrong. I do hope that we are not here for this part of the tribulation. Up until now, it's been bad. Don't get me wrong, it's been, it's been really terrible. But this, and we can't blame God because God is justified in what he's doing in chapters seven, or excuse me, chapters eight, nine, and 10. He's justified. He's warned us multiple times. It's kind of like, you know, you tell your children, don't touch the hot stove, don't touch the hot stove. And they go and touch the hot stove anyway. And they get burned, they get hurt. You've tried to warn them, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they're justified in getting burned. Don't, don't take it that way. They've been warned but they've been so stubborn and so thick-skinned, and those are so uh, our children would never be stubborn, would they? They have to touch that just to see. We'll blow that up on a worldwide scale. God has warned us through the prophets, through the Bible, through the preachers, through the singing, through all of this, not to go down this path. And what do we do? <clears throat> we go down this path. God is justified in these seven trumpets and what he is about to unleash on the world. And it gets even worse. Woe, woe, woe.
to the inhabitants of the earth because the next three are terrible. And we'll take up the next three next week. See, that's a good key. That's a good teaser to bring you back to this on a weekly basis. I always like to end on a little teaser note. But yeah, chapter, uh, chapter nine is really scary if you want to look at it that way. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're right here in the Halloween season and we're studying this in Revelation. I think it was God appointed because everybody, oh my gosh, Halloween is so scary. I don't even celebrate Halloween. I don't even believe it should be listed on the calendar. But so many people are, oh my gosh, it's scary. Real life is scary. And what's about to happen to this earth is very scary. Ghosts and goblins, they are nothing compared to what's about to take place. We have got to open our eyes and got to see. The angel is, is about to fly going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're there, guys. We are definitely in the days of sorrow. Wars and rumors of wars are quakes in diverse places, pestilence, disease. We are in Matthew 24 squarely. We're there. A little bit later in Matthew 24, it talks about the Great Tribulation. That's the seven trumpets that we're reading about now. We're not quite there yet, thank God. I pray that the, the post-tribulation rapture people are wrong. I don't want to be here. I know God will take care of me. I know that. There's no question about that. He's always taken care of me. I just don't want to see it. Let me go home first. Let me go home before. Let me go home before all of this happens, please. Because I am a wimp when it comes to stuff like this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hand here this day. Lord, that you'll open up our eyes to see what's going on around us, Lord. Lord, give us eyes and open up our eyes of understanding, Lord. Enlighten them so that we can understand what you are trying to show us so that we can, Lord, be ready and to witness to those around us so that they can be ready as well, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.